0: It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then, she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. We've been talking a lot lately about DNA evidence and how genealogy is breaking cold cases wide open these days. Tonight's case is a great example of how it might be used to rule a specific suspect out. The story of the murder of Nicole van der Herk is one that is both tragic and heroic. She was only 15 years old when she was murdered in 1995 in the Netherlands. Initially, the spotlight was put on her brother and her stepfather, who had been raising her since her mother had taken her own life. After being cleared in the killings, in a shocking twist, her brother would confess to killing Nicole, but not because he was guilty. He wanted DNA testing to be done, DNA testing that could confirm the identity of the true killer, so he falsely confessed. But would it confirm many people's suspicion, or would it point investigators into a whole new direction? Let's jump right in. And we're going to start with the victim of tonight's case, because she was just a 15-year-old girl who didn't deserve any of this. Nicole was this stunning young lady with beautiful blonde curly hair and these bright blue eyes, and she had her whole future ahead of her at the time. However, even in the years leading up to her murder, things were never easy for Nicole van der Born on July 4th, 1980 to her mother Angelica Tiegmeier and an unknown man in Germany, Nicole would never grow up with her birth father. Actually, at the time that she was born, her mother wasn't completely sure who had fathered her. So she decided to have a blood test done when Nicole was just one years old. And this test identified some married man that lived in the same community to be Nicole's father. While his name would be added to her birth certificate, he wasn't really involved in any capacity in Nicole's life. Angelica would raise Nicole as a single mother for the first few years. That is, until she met a Dutch man named Ad van der Herk. The couple would get married and move to the Netherlands, where he would raise Nicole like his very own child. Unfortunately, this marriage was very short-lived, and when Nicole was just 9 years old, her mother and her stepfather divorced. It's unclear to me exactly what Angelica's living situation was, But for some reason, this man was awarded custody of Nicole. I have to guess that her life may have been a mess. It's the only way that I can see a judge awarding custody to a non-biological male who is divorcing the mother. It just doesn't happen very often. Now living with her stepfather in the Netherlands, a new stepmother named Yolanda would eventually come along, as well as some new step-siblings. I couldn't find any indication that Nicole's life growing up was anything other than typical. That is until 1995. For Nicole, it was the worst kind of year a person could experience. In April of 1995, her biological mother, who she had become somewhat estranged from over the years since she and her stepfather divorced, she unfortunately had taken her own life. This would have been really difficult for Nicole, who was now 15 years old and could have really used her mother's presence in her life. And then later that fall, Nicole would vanish. The date was October 6, 1995, and Nicole went to visit with her grandmother earlier in the day before heading over to work her part-time shift at a bakery. She took off on her bicycle from her grandmother's home, but she would never make it to work. Her boss tried to call her at home, but she wasn't there. When her parents learned that Nicole had never actually made it to work, they phoned the police immediately. At around 6 p.m., the local police force launched a small search of the neighborhood. They began knocking on doors and asking if anyone had seen her. It didn't take them too long to make a shocking discovery Nicole's bicycle partially submerged in the river. Unfortunately, there was no sign of Nicole nearby and no other clues found that might point to what might have happened to her. Neighbors, friends, and family would gather together each day with the police to search for Nicole for the next 11 days. They searched the rest of the river, the forest surrounding the river, and all of the local teen hangout spots. No one had seen or heard from Nicole since that day that she left for work on her bicycle. Then, approximately two weeks since she went missing, her backpack was located near Eindhoven's canal, which was maybe a five-minute drive from where the bike had been found. Police tried to use the scent dogs with the backpack to see if they might be able to pick up a lead, but no such luck. The local news stations began airing Nicole's story along with her description and her photo. Authorities opened a tip line, and they received so many calls. Allegedly, over 300 reported sightings and tips flooded their office. Unfortunately, none of them would be helpful to finding Nicole. The police began to wonder if anything criminal had actually happened to her at all, or if perhaps she was another teen runaway, and maybe she went back to her home country in Germany. And then, on November 22nd, 1995, a month and a half since Nicole disappeared, a walker discovered her body near a walking path in the forest that wasn't too far from her grandmother's house. She had been beaten, stabbed, and sexually assaulted. In addition to the stab wounds, an autopsy would reveal two jaw fractures and severe head trauma, along with a broken rib cage and defense wounds on her hands and her fingers. She had been beaten severely, and whatever had happened to Nicole, she had fought for her life. While her official cause of death has never been revealed, it is likely that she died due to internal bleeding from her injuries. Even with the massive amount of tips that had been called in, the local police had very few suspects to look at. There may have been DNA on her body from the sexual assault, but it was never collected because the technology, well, it just didn't exist at the time. Now, I don't usually insert my opinion into these cases very often, but this is a case where I feel like it just needs to be said. Perhaps it was due to their inexperience with such a serious case, but the police who handled this investigation, they completely botched it. It's unclear to me whether they simply didn't have solid information to follow up on or whether they just failed to do the legwork. But either way, after a few weeks passed and Nicole's murder investigation basically came to a standstill, the pressure was on to get this case solved. Locals were terrified that there was a predator on the loose, a predator who was targeting young teen girls. This suspect had to be identified, and an arrest had to be made quickly. There was one person that police briefly looked at in connection to the murder, a longtime family friend who had been arrested for drug trafficking. Her name was Celine Hartogs, and she claimed that she knew who had killed Nicole. It was a man that she had worked for previously. The police tried to find a connection between this man and Nicole. However, ultimately, it was determined to be a lie. Although at the time, Nicole's stepfather did seem to believe this theory. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language, Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors Chef Crafted Meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Then, in a surprising turn of events, Nicole's stepfather and stepbrother, Ad and Andy Vandenherk, they were arrested in the summer of 1996 in connection to Nicole's murder. It's unclear if there was a specific reason that they were suspected, or if police were throwing things at the wall to see what would stick, so to speak. The arrests were very brief. They didn't have nearly enough evidence to actually hold them there. Police would eventually clear both Nicole's stepfather and her stepbrother, Andy, of any wrongdoing. And then the case went cold. Budgets were cut, resources were limited, and Nicole's murder investigation went very quiet. Of course, this didn't stop her family for continuing to pursue answers and advocate for Nicole. They would keep in regular contact with the team of four investigators who were still committed to working on her case. When Nicole's stepbrother, Andy, saw that very little progress was actually being made, he did something that no one could have predicted. He confessed to Nicole's murder. Well, kind of. 16 years after his stepsister's death, Andy, who was now living abroad in England, wrote in a Facebook post the following, quote, "'I will be arrested today at the murder of my sister. I confessed. We'll get in contact soon.'" Obviously a post like this spread like wildfire through social media, and it wasn't long before the police were knocking on Andy's door with an arrest warrant. That was okay. According to Andy, he had planned for all of this to happen. Over the last several years, he had really tried to move forward with his life without ever knowing who had killed his stepsister. The thought that maybe the killer could have been his father and Nicole's stepfather, Ad, and the not knowing, it was driving him crazy. He became obsessed with the idea that Ad may have sexually assaulted Nicole and then killed her when she became pregnant. Ad denied this, instead pointing the finger right back at Andy. One really frustrating aspect of this case is that at the time of Nicole's murder, there hadn't been any DNA collected from her body because the technology wasn't there to test it against a system or any potential suspects. However, now technology has advanced enough to do just this. Sadly, Nicole's unsolved murder case wasn't necessarily a priority for police anymore, as it happened so long ago so Andy decided to falsely confess to Nicole's murder in order to bring new information to police that would pretty much force them to exhume Nicole's body. Nicole had been buried in the Netherlands with any evidence on her body buried with her. Once Andy had been extradited back to the Netherlands, he told investigators that he was actually innocent and he pleaded with them to exhume his stepsister's body to see if there was any DNA left. In a later media interview, Andy would say, quote, I wanted to get her exhumed and get DNA off of her. I kind of set myself up and it could have gone horribly wrong. To get her exhumed, I had to put steps in place to get her exhumed. I went to police and I said, I did it. She's my sister. Absolutely. I miss her every day. Now, I want you to think how brazen this was for him. Andy had been previously arrested for Nicole's murder, meaning that at least at one point in time, the police really believed that he had killed his sister. This plan of his could have gone terribly wrong with him spending the rest of his life behind bars for a murder that he did not commit. Luckily for him, investigators agreed to reopen Nicole's murder case and they agreed to exhume her body to collect any DNA that might still be on her. They didn't have any reason to continue holding Andy, so they released him from custody while they reopened Nicole's investigation. Her body was exhumed, and they were able to find and collect a single trace of sperm. Now, this sample contained the DNA of three different males, all in this one single trace of sperm. New technology was used to identify one of the samples as belonging to Nicole's boyfriend, who was never identified as a suspect by authorities. The second DNA profile belonged to an unnamed man who was alleged to be Andy, though I have not seen it confirmed. Andy would later say that he has no idea how his DNA ended up in this sample and confirm that he was cleared of killing Nicole. The third DNA sample belonged to a 46-year-old convicted rapist from the Netherlands. He went by the name Hos De G. For some reason, the Netherlands has a policy of publishing the names of victims, but not of the suspects, even ones who are convicted for their crimes. Now, wait until you hear about this vermin, who I will refer to as Shovelface, because he looks like someone hit him in the face with a shovel. Shovelface is actually nicer than the names that Nicole's father would call him in court, including a breathing flesh heap and creature, both of which I love and should go on t shirts. Shovelface denied ever meeting or knowing Nicole. He denied having sex with her, but added that if they did, it was consensual. And if you didn't believe this absolutely solid story that he was telling, wait until you hear about his past convictions. He had previously been jailed for grabbing a 20-year-old woman off of her bicycle in a remote area and then sexually assaulting her. Does any of this sound familiar to you? 15-year-old Nicole was riding her bike to work when she was murdered. Shovelface had also been convicted of sexually abusing his ex-girlfriend twice at her home. All in all, he had previously been convicted of three sexual assaults and he served three years in jail as well as been ordered to attend treatment. On the evening that Nicole was murdered, October 6th of 1995, Shovel Face was at his ex-girlfriend's home when the pair had a huge fight and he took off. This all happened only a few hours before Nicole would be leaving for her shift at the mall. The prosecution alleged that after he had stormed out of his ex's house, he decided to take out his frustration on an unsuspecting victim. He waited and he watched until Nicole came along on her bicycle on her way into work. She would have been the perfect victim for him. He grabbed her off her bike and then assaulted her. And then he panicked. He had already been convicted of a very similar crime after letting the victim go. So, if he were to be arrested again, his life would be over. He couldn't let Nicole go. She would have reported it to the police. So, he killed her. Again, the defense team denied this, with the accused saying that he didn't even remember ever meeting Nicole. However, again, the two may have had consensual sex a few days prior to her murder, which would account for his DNA found on her body. This is all according to him, of course. However, the prosecution had two surprise witnesses who would testify that Shovelface told them in two separate incidents that he had raped and killed a girl. One of the witnesses met the accused while they were both at a mental institution. According to this witness... He said that he had sex with Nicole and when she laughed at the size of his anatomy, he got angry and strangled her to death. The second witness had a very similar account. While he did not name his victim, the witness said the accused told him straight up that he killed someone and got away with it. It only made sense to them later when they heard of Nicole's murder. While Shovelface was initially charged with murder and rape, in a shocking turn of events that happened in November of 2016, he would be acquitted of the murder charge and only found guilty of the rape. He was sentenced to serve just five years behind bars because he was found to be criminally insane at the time. It was a complicated case to try. The jury would later say that they believed Shovelface had probably sexually assaulted Nicole even though he claimed it was consensual. But they had a difficult time convicting him of the murder due to the DNA evidence. In that one single strand of sperm that was collected from Nicole's body, there were three male DNA profiles found, so they could not say with certainty that only one person was involved with her murder. And again, I don't like to insert my opinion in these cases that I cover, But in this situation where there is DNA evidence to connect the suspect to the sexual assault of a murder victim, and then the suspect has prior convictions matching the same circumstances in which the victim died, I just don't understand how they could not convict him of murder at the time. In my opinion, an utter failure by investigators and the Netherlands justice system. Nicole's stepfather ad said, quote, This man deserves the highest punishment there is. He has taken the life of my child. The Netherlands is not helped by this, that such a man may still walk the streets. Just a short while later, both the prosecution and the defense filed an appeal. This time, Shovelface's conviction was changed to both rape and manslaughter. For his crimes, he was sentenced to serve 12 years in prison. I still think this is far too light of a sentence for what he did to this innocent girl, but it's better than the five years. And if prisons in the Netherlands are anything like the prisons in North America, any time behind bars for a child predator is going to be a really bad time. What's really incredible about Nicole's case is that it likely would have gone unsolved after all of these years if not for her brother Andy's false confession. That was the one act that started the ball rolling again in her investigation. From there, once the body had been exhumed and the DNA evidence collected and tested, it was really only a matter of time until the person responsible was caught and had to pay for taking her life. Even after his sister's murder case was solved and the perpetrator was behind bars, Andy continued to struggle in his own personal life. He was really active on social media, sharing personal stories from his life with those who had been following his sister's case. That is until August of 2021, when he posted a cryptic message on Facebook that read, quote, I'm ready to say goodbye. The pills will do the rest. Sadly, Andy did take his own life after battling with so much tragedy and trauma for years. And this is one of the biggest reasons I wanted to share Nicole and Andy's story on this podcast. Because Andy is the shining light in this really dark story. While he couldn't save his sister from the monster that she met on her way into work, he did something so courageous and stupid that not many people would be willing to do. And for that, he is a hero. And of course, I'd love to hear what you think about this case. I have a question for you. Would you ever go as far as to falsely confess to a murder that you did not commit in order to progress a loved one's investigation? In my opinion, that has to be one of the ultimate sacrifices of all time. You're quite literally risking your freedom and basically everything important in your life. People are wrongfully convicted of crimes that they didn't do every single day. So it's not out of the question to think that the police could have locked him in jail and tossed away the key without ever losing a wink of sleep. Thankfully, the police saw who he really was and what his goal was, and they took a chance. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Mapper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check out my Patreon page for more exclusive content at patreon.com serialnapper or you can find me on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper. I'm also on YouTube and if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.